Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I'm Angela. So this is my first solo episode in a while, and I'm really excited about the topic. I'm going to be tackling the myth that Christianity is hateful or oppressive. Um, we're gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna kind of dive right into that. But first, I do have an announcement that I would like to share with all of you. If you haven't already seen on Instagram, I am pregnant. Um, We are expecting our first baby, a baby girl, at the end of January, early February, and we have decided to name her Selah. So Selah is from Psalms. It means to rest in or to exalt the Lord, Um, both of which are very, very appropriate for both myself and my husband's testimony. So we can't wait. According to the blood test, she was actually conceived on our wedding night, which is just, I mean, just an absolute blessing from the Lord. And we truly could not be more grateful. I feel incredibly favored to be having a baby so soon after our marriage and just so soon after my salvation too. So I wanted to let you guys all know that if you could cover baby Selah in prayer, cover myself in prayer and cover my husband Michael in prayer, we would just really appreciate that. Um, Some of you kind of already picked up on it. I guess I have like the pregnancy glow that they talk about, but I mean, I don't see that. I just feel like I just always feel like I just ate like three burritos at all times. So that's where I'm at at this stage in the second trimester. Um, But yeah, I just look forward to the rest of this pregnancy and of course finally meeting her at the at the uh, start of the new year so that being said uh this is kind of actually really a beautiful way to segue into this topic because my husband was someone who before he was born again used to think that christianity was just like a hateful um oppressive kind of religion and he really wanted nothing to do with it And now, you know, we worship together, we pray together, we we read the Bible together, we evangelize together, like we, we're, we're all in for Jesus together. And it's just really, really beautiful to see how the Lord has softened his heart, has done a mighty work in him. And so our baby is really, as I said, a testimony. She's a testament to our faith, our salvation, and, um, That being said, it's just, it's really amazing what the Lord will do in your life and through you and in you when you just surrender your entire life to him. When you die to yourself and give your life to him, it's just amazing to see what can happen in such a short amount of time, even like for us. As I said, it's less than two years for me, less than one year for him, and we live in in Tennessee and you know we're we're married and we have this beautiful baby on the way and I want to be clear that coming to Christ isn't about what he can do for you um when we come to him it it doesn't it doesn't just serve us it it changes us is my point and uh so that being said I really pray that this episode will 
bless unbelievers, especially if someone sent this to you. Listen, I just pray that you see this through. I'm aiming to not be longer than an hour, maybe an hour, 15 minutes here. And I know you have that time in your day. We all spend it on our phones at the very least. So just whoever sent this to you, send it to you because they love you. And if you are just an active Heaven and Healing podcast listener, um, I pray that this will be edifying for you because I really felt the Holy Spirit working on me as I was preparing this episode to just to to just really decrease and allow Christ to increase in me to just let him live in me like the word says that we are alive in Christ and so what does it really mean to let him live in you to 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 walk in him right as i said it's not about how it serves you it's about how it changes you and so i felt called to record this episode initially because this is something as i said that my husband struggled with and it's probably the most common thing that I see in my comments on YouTube or especially on Instagram just about how, oh, your religion is so hateful, your religion is so oppressive, your, your religion is so constrictive, I just want to be free, I don't want to be bound to these rules. And it just got my, it just got me thinking, you know, where all this hate is really coming from and how I really wanted to address it because there's just this terrible misconception about what Christianity actually is. And so I want to kind of bust that myth and I pray that as I do that, it will it will just soften your heart if you are an unbeliever and just really plant some seeds of faith and that the Lord will use me to kind of speak directly to you. Um, you know, because... People, as I said, always want to talk about how nasty Christianity is. And and nine times out of ten, the comments themselves are very nasty. Um, because, you know, the delivery of the accusations, it never comes with any grace or any inquiry. Just malice. Like, it's just complete inflammatory uh, emotional reactions that come from a hardened heart that is, as the Bible tells us, by nature at enmity with God. And this, of course, this kind of reaction is the consequence of, of the curse of, of um of the curse of Adam, the curse of sin, and that curse that separated us from God, like I said. And so the people that that have this kind of reaction, they are at enmity with God and thus at enmity with me for sharing the truth of God, which is namely the solitary truth of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, because he, again, is the truth. And because they cannot see that truth, they are blind. So, look, I want to say that I'm not mad. That I'm not coming at any unbeliever for leaving me a nasty comment because, you know, to be mad or offended by those kinds of reactions, it would be like actually being mad at a physically blind person, right, who can't see, like going up to someone who is blind and shaking them and asking them, why can't you see, you know, because they can't, right, because they can't. And it's just like these unbelievers cannot see who Jesus is. They are they are captive to a lie and there's no way to discern a lie if you don't know the truth. John 8:32 tells us and you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So until they know the truth of Jesus of God, of the gospel of themselves, of his love, they are living in bondage to lies, okay? And we know from scripture that Satan is the father of lies, and that's from John 8, 4, 4. So that all being said, again, it is just my most sincere prayer 
with this episode that the Holy Spirit, by his truth and his love, truth and love, right? That the Holy Spirit may use me to peel back those blinders, to 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 break the chains of those lies, to soften hearts, to plant those seeds of faith, and to impart a biblical revelation of who he truly is. Because it's, look, it's my prayer, if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus, that you would know Jesus. I pray that everyone would know Jesus. It's my prayer that the unbeliever would be set free. It's my prayer that the unbeliever would overcome by the blood of the lamb as promised in his word. And I pray that in Jesus' name over you. Please just just stick just stick with us. What do you have to lose by watching this, right? So I'm going to discuss some of the common misconceptions about Christianity, um, expose the darkness of the lies that the enemy uses to blind the minds of the unbeliever. And I'm going to do that just simply, quite simply, just by shining the light of Jesus and by his strength that is made perfect in our weakness, share what the gospel really is about and kind of just dismantle man-made doctrine of religion by focusing on the one thing that sets Christianity apart from every other branch of belief. And that is relationship, okay? A personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, and his Holy Spirit that lives in you when you were born again and made a new creation in faith by his grace and righteousness. And so, <clears throat> and so if you're listening to or watching this and Christianity has left a bad taste in your mouth or you think my God is hateful or you think my God is bogus um, or you've suffered an experience of church hurt that has left you jaded to the idea of God altogether. This is for you, okay? This is for you. I love you. I should add, this is for anyone who's ever left a nasty comment too, because like I said, I'm not mad at you. I love you. And most importantly, Jesus loves you. If you get nothing else from this video, I pray that that lands. Jesus loves you. And I want you, I just, I just... I, I grieve for you and I pray that you would recognize how very true that is and just how true he is, okay? So, you know, if you think I'm crazy, that's okay. I used to think people like me were crazy too. And it's again, because I was just, I was blind to the truth. I was captive to lies that I didn't think I was. And that's really the thing, right? Because the nature of deception is that you don't realize that you're being deceived. That's the very, that's deception by its very definition, right? So, you know, I'm not mad if you're someone who's spewed nasty, hateful comments, profanity, name-calling threats, haughtiness, any of it. And when I say that, to be clear, I'm not crying poor little Christian here saying that, you know, oh, what was me because someone bullied me on the internet. It's not about that at all. I fully understand persecution. Um, and persecution is actually a reality of your walk with the Lord, as the Bible says. And it's actually a privilege. It's a privilege to actually be hated by his namesake because the reality is I have overcome all that persecution simply because I'm his. Because 1 John 4, 4 promises, greater is he who lives in me than he who is in the world. So true followers of Christ count it all as joy when the persecution comes for his namesake. And that is per James 1, 2. 
And now that revelation, that is something you can only understand as a joyful experience when you embody the faith that he is your provider, that he is your joy, that all the promises in God's word are true. And so my point in sharing all of that is that if you have ever engaged or combated with somebody in a comment section that's a Christian, they should not have responded that way. And I'm guilty of this, especially during my first year in the in the faith, because I I still had not completely crucified my flesh or come to understand what that meant. So I would I would speak the carnal language in reaction to the carnal comments, and that is not counting the persecution as joy. So right off the bat, I just want to acknowledge that if a Christian has ever fought back with you, you know, in a nasty way, they missed the mark. And on their behalf, I apologize, okay? Um, Now, scripture talks about the objective reality that the carnal mind cannot perceive spiritual things. So I cannot... And Christian watching, you cannot, we cannot expect compassion, the compassion of Christ from someone who has no interest in following him yet, right? And, you know, I just really want to remind the audience, like the, the steady heaven and healing audience, the Christians that are watching of that, um, because you can't be mad or hostile towards unbelievers. You can't. You just can't. You can't, you know, you can be honest. You can be bold. And straight, you know, Jesus was all of those things. He was even offensive when he told the truth, but he was not nasty, right? He wasn't carnal. Being offensive doesn't necessarily mean that you're being nasty. Telling the truth is easily offensive, right? So you can be honest, bold, and straight, but you cannot be carnal for the sake of speaking their language. And I repent for the way I reacted during the first year of my walk in those Instagram comments, because I was. And I, I may have been someone that did leave a bad taste in the mouth of someone about following Jesus because that's not Christ-like behavior. So you, you got to speak the language of Jesus when you're talking to an unbeliever. And so what does that mean? You must speak the language of agape love, right? In those moments, you must put on Christ, like Romans 13, 14 says, and show them who Jesus is by showing them who he made you to be. I'll say that again. You show them who Jesus is by showing them who he made you to be. You must show them the compassion of Christ. And so don't understand or don't misunderstand me. I'm not preaching tolerance. I'm preaching compassion. And there's a big difference. Because remember, you would never scream in the face of a physically blind person and demand them to see, right? Um, so, Christian, look, expect to the carnal reactions and expect the demonic manifestations to happen, right? You know, I, I've just back to my husband for a moment, just to speak from my own experience. When I first came to know Jesus, his reactions were entirely carnal, entirely demonic. The, it was manifestation after manifestation of just demons, honestly. It was, it was, it was really, really nasty, he was really mean to me and I had done nothing except tell him how much I love Jesus. And in those moments, I would show him who Jesus is because I, I just loved him through it. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying condone abuse from people. You know, there's probably times where I should have walked away from him and ended the relationship. But by the grace of God, we're both born again now. But, you know, I'm not sitting here condoning abuse, so don't misunderstand me there. What I'm saying is 
the Bible literally says to turn the other cheek. You know, if someone hits you, give them your other cheek, right? Count it as joy. Show them the compassion of Christ. Tell them the truth. You know, we can offend people all the way to heaven. I just heard Mike Signorelli say this. Offend them all the way to heaven instead of trying to appease them all the way to hell. Like, I stand firm on that. Tell the truth, but don't be nasty. Don't don't match their energy, for lack of a better term, okay? And again, I want to address that for the Christians watching, but I also want the unbeliever to know, again, that if someone has reacted that way to you as a Christian and has been extremely carnal, nasty with you, they miss the mark because that is not who Jesus is. And so I just pray that you can compartmentalize that, right, that experience and put it over here and just know that that's not Jesus, okay? We're going to talk about who Jesus is, but that's not Jesus, Jesus is not carnal. He is not nasty. He is not mean. He is true. He is honest. He is bold. But he is compassionate because he he himself is truth. He himself is love, okay? Um, but my point in sharing this with the Christians is to tell you that, y'all, we are representatives of Jesus, right? We are representatives of the true living God. What a privilege and honor that is. Hallelujah, Right? And we have people watching us, whether you know it or not, whether you have a platform like me or you don't, people are watching you. Um, and, you know, it's not just in the comment section like it is for me. It's it's at school, it's at work, it's at family gatherings. And look, I don't say the intention with putting this under you under an immense pressure over you to uphold this incredibly angelic image at all times. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm, pr I'm not preaching perfection. I'm preaching purpose. Let Jesus be your purpose in who you are. Our quote unquote, our goal here, right, is, is best stated by Jesus himself. Let's read it in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, where it says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. Okay, so before acting on something or saying something, we, we should be asking ourselves, is this me being the light of the world? Is this me being the light of the world? Is this good work, behavior, heart posture, or response that which gives glory to my Father in heaven? And look, that'll be an easy answer when you have the Word of God stored in your heart. That's why it's so important to have the Word of God stored in your heart uh, so that we may demonstrate the Word of God and how we live. Jesus himself in Matthew 4.19 says that if we follow him, we will be fishers of men. So, y'all, let's live like that. And to the unbeliever, long way around the barn for an introduction, I know. I just, again, want to highlight that if you've had these experiences with Christians, that is not who Jesus is. And Christian, if you have been on the receiving end of that experience where, you, where you're thinking to yourself, oh, I've done that with an unbeliever. Repent, know the Lord has already forgiven you and put on Christ. Be fishers of men. Be the light of the world. Be Christ-like. Be Christ-like. It says you are alive in Christ. It says you have the mind of Christ. So live like it, y'all. Live like it because we have these unbelievers watching us. How are we going to share with them the love of Jesus if we don't show them the love of Jesus. We can't just talk it. We have to walk it. We have to walk it. 
Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow him, right, guys? So this is really this is really for unbelievers. I don't want to preach too much to um, the own my body of Christ here, but I felt like that was really important to kind of set the lay the foundation with. Um, let me just get to the point now, right? Uh, look, if you hate me um, because of Jesus, that's okay. But if you hate Jesus because of me, that's not okay. Uh, and that should kind of be as as our as Christians, that should be a really good basis point. People can hate you because of Jesus, and they will. That's expected. But people should not hate Jesus because of you. So yeah, stand up, tell the truth, be firm, be bold, because love tells the truth regardless of the consequences. Jesus himself told the truth regardless of consequences. It's why the, it's why they killed him, whipped him. You know, he made radical claims of truth. He spoke and acted with bold provision and gave glory to God for all things. Why? Because God so loved the world. God loves the world. Jesus loves the world. And he sat with sinners in his ministry on earth, but he sat with them and called them to repentance. And so here's here's my meat of the episode on believer, okay? Christians are going to do that. I'm not saying that a Christian should not call you to repentance or share bold provision with you. I'm saying they shouldn't be nasty and there is a difference. Christians are not hateful. Guys, Christians are not hateful to the unbeliever because they are calling you to repentance in Christ. But where I think a lot of us miss the mark sometimes, especially in the church setting, where people experience that unfortunate church hurt is that the sin is always preached and it comes off in a way that is condemning rather than convicting. Because love is what convicts. When I came to know Jesus, I didn't feel condemned. I felt convicted. And there's a there's a huge difference. So Christians... We can't just only preach the sin. We need to preach the sin, but we can't only preach the sin. We need to preach and embody the love that died for the sin, which is the point of this episode, the love that died for the sin, showing why that love hung himself on a cross and died for that sin. An unbeliever, that love, Jesus Christ, he hung himself on a cross and died for that sin because of your value to him. He died for your sin because of your value to him. And that's the conviction. And that's what a lot of churches miss. And that's what results in church hurt a lot of the time because they want to just condemn you and condemn you and condemn you, but they're not telling you why he died for the sin. It's because of your value to him, your value to God. God so loved the world, right? So I don't want to preach about sin. I don't want to call you to repentance without expressing that value that you have to God. There is only one of you. He made just one of you. You are perfectly unique. He knitted you in the mother's womb. He set you apart before the foundations of the world. He he knows every hair on your head, okay? You are valuable to him. That is why he hung on a cross and died for your sin. So I don't want to just, you know, stop at the not being worthy part because none of us are worthy for that sacrificial love, that unconditional love from the creator of the universe. None of us are worthy of it, but 
He decided that we were, right? He decided that we were. So I want to be clear that with everything I'm saying here, I know church hurt is real. And I know that there are a lot of hateful Christians and if you're listening, I'm using air, qu- air quotes when I say Christians, um, because what I'm referring to are the people that simply wear the title of a Christian, but the fruit of their life, who they are, the fruit of their life is not actually reflective of someone who has put on Christ, like I mentioned in Romans 13. And, you know, there are certainly people who misrepresent Christ despite claiming that they follow him and love him. And just as I apologize for the folks that may have been nasty to you in the comments, I, I apologize on behalf of people who have misrepresented Jesus to you. And, and I, I apologize if, if, you're, if you're church hurt. Again, that's not who Jesus is. And I know that there are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing. The Bible talks about that. I pray that something that you see from this episode is actually how consistent, concise, and solid the Bible really is, which of course is a huge misconception that the Bible's not consistent, concise um, at all, but it really is. It, It has an answer for everything. We'll get there later, but my point is the Bible talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. There's an example in Matthew 7, 15, if you want to read about that, um, You know, it talks about how there are false prophets and false teachers who proclaim the name of Jesus, but do not actually know him. So this goes back to what I said at the very beginning, at the start of this, about, you know, someone that may have shoved religion down your throat, but never got to the relationship part. And here's what Jesus has to say about that. I want to tell you what Jesus himself says about those people in Matthew 7, 21 through 24. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. Or another translation is worker of lawlessness. So this right here, this is about people who use Jesus, who claim Christ, but do not actually have Christ, have a relationship with Christ, don't know Christ, don't put on Christ. And now this is kind of just like a little uh, sidebar for Christian listening. I just want to point out quickly here in Matthew 7 that we just read that it it says not everyone, referring to one who prophesies, casts out devils, done wonderful works, right? It doesn't say no one who prophesies, no one who casts out devils, no one who has done wonderful works. I'm getting tongue-tied. If there were not legitimate children of God who do not indeed prophesy, cast out devils, and do wonderful works... The Holy Spirit would have chosen to inscribe here no one instead of not everyone, correct? I think we can all agree that the way scripture was written was intentional. Um, And so that's kind of like an entirely separate topic and can of worms for another time. But my point in emphasizing that is that the context here 
is indeed those who do not actually have a relationship with Christ, which is important for the Christian to hear as important as it is for the unbeliever to hear. Because those who do not have a true relationship with Christ, totally yielding to his word and his spirit, those are the actual wolves. Those are the actual wolves. So yeah, unfortunately, there are people who claim Jesus' name but Jesus does not actually know him and it makes him just as sick as it does those of us that really love Christ and know who he is, um, that they are in the church, that they've infiltrated the church and Satan loves it because it has left a lot of people jaded. It has left a lot of people jaded and has left their hearts hard and not even wanting to know God. So if that's you, I just pray again that you see this through. And that you would, again, compartmentalize that your experience and your feelings, what happened to you, although it's true that it happened, it's not the truth of who God is. And he hates it. He hates it. And whoever hurt you in the church, he's going to say those words to them. Depart from me, worker of lawlessness. I don't know you. So I pray you find peace with that. Um, and I, And that you don't let someone's bad man-made doctrine of religion completely tarnish the relationship that Jesus wants with you. Um, the, because those people, they don't follow him, right? They don't, have the, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They just have their religion. And so they don't have the fruits. The Bible talks a lot about when you abide in the vine. So the vine is Jesus. For those that don't know, the, the vine is Jesus. And so what does a vine do? It produces fruit. So if you're abiding in Jesus, you should produce the fruit of Jesus, the fruit of his Holy Spirit, which the Bible describes as love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay. And so we see this lack of fruit a lot with, I'm just going to name some examples. Um, abuse in the Catholic Church with kids. Um, we see this in legalistic cults that teach young women that they will go to hell if they wear pants. Um, we see this in the Westboro Baptist Church with people who hold up signs that say God hates fags. I'm sorry to be vulgar. And we see this in false prophets that have like a deliverance ministry or prophetic ministry that spend hours casting out demons or speaking word of knowledge over people only to go home and use their Bible as a coaster for a whiskey glass or they yell at their wives or beat their wives or something of the sort. You know, none of that, none of which I described is being applicable to a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Like they are in, there's a lot of different, um, you know, denominations, which is like a whole other thing to talk about. Denominations are man-made. I always refer to myself as pre-denominational because I just follow Jesus. I follow the Bible, right? So all these denominations are man-made. And so there's a lot of religion within all of these different sectors of denomination. And that's when the, that's when the, the carnality gets in. That's when, that's when Satan infiltrates. And so I use different examples from different tiers of Christianity as a way to show you that, yeah, the wolves are in the church. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. So the, the word says that you test the spirits. You test the spirits. And we do that with scripture. We do that with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, so here's a way to do so. 1 John 2 verses 3 through 6 say, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, 
but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So all those examples that I used, those are not people that are walking the way Jesus walked. And I'm sorry if you were ever hurt by one of those people. They are not Jesus. They are a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the enemy is using them to to have people like you um, not understand your value to the Lord. Again, why that love hung itself on a tree for your sin was because he valued you enough to do it. And so, look, you, maybe you've had a deconstruction experience from the faith or you were never a part of a church to begin with. And none of this is really residing with you. Or, you know, maybe you've just found yourself completely detesting all that you have seen the church endorse from a secular standpoint, because I used to be one of those people. I was never actually church hurt. You know, I had a pretty dry experience in the Catholic church when I was a kid, but, and I had a priest yell in my face, so maybe I was church hurt, but I just overall had this, had this, you know, idea that I detested what I saw of the church. But of course, that wasn't the true church that walks the way Jesus walked. Jesus never stood on a street corner with a sign that says, God hates fags, right? Right? (laughs) Like Jesus would never do that. You know, Jesus would tell the truth. He would speak to the truth of homosexuality as a sin, but he would say, I love you. I know that this is something that you're struggling with and I love you. And I hung on a cross for that struggle because I love you. So I just want to say, look, again, from the bottom of my heart, I am truly, abundantly, desperately sorry that someone or a group of someone's misrepresented Jesus to you. I am sorry that someone misrepresented the gospel to you. I am sorry that someone used Jesus, used God, and used the word for their own selfish, carnal, cruel, demonic purposes rather than for love and truth, which is everything that the gospel is. It's everything the Bible is. It's everything God is. It's everything that Jesus is. It's everything. It's the fruits of the Holy Spirit that I just mentioned. So yeah, I I just pray that again, that whatever hurtful experience you may have had with a wolf in sheep's clothing does does not affect from this point forward the actual relationship that the Heavenly Father desires to have with you that can be yours right now can be yours right now i just want to clear up you know this myth that christianity is hateful because true followers of christ are actually in constant pursuit of jesus's heart and to be clear this isn't even in my notes but just to be clear this isn't about defending me or another christian that's like me that really loves jesus I, i don't care about my reputation i don't care about the reputation of, of, of the body as individual people. I, I care about how we look to you when it comes to how we're representing Christ. I care about Christ. I care about the image of Christ. I care about upholding his reputation. Not that he needs me to do that, but he has called me to be a fisher of men. He has called me to walk in light as he is light. And so this isn't about trying to save face for me or for someone else. This is about showing you who Jesus is. Um, you know, God's heart, Jesus's heart 
is made clear in 2 Timothy 2.4, where it reads that the character of his heart desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, right? So that's, that's my heart for you here because I walk in him and I love him. And that desire that God has for you to come to the knowledge of truth, I have for you too. This isn't about me. This isn't about making a case for my faith. This is about just showing you how much Jesus loves you, right? And so while it is true, you know, what I just read, that the Lord desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, it is true, unfortunately, that not all men will be saved. Not, not all men will come to the knowledge of truth, and that's because of our free will, right? It's, it's God's desire for all men to be saved, including you watching or listening, And whoever sent this to you, just know that their heart grieves for you alongside God over your rejection of the Father. Um, And what I mean by that, God grieves for you, we see very early on in chapter 6 of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, right before the flood, um, which, by the way, is a gorgeous foreshadowing of the transformation that represents the total cleansing, the total washing away of the curse of sin and the birth of just this new cleansed babe, this new creation in Christ when someone is water baptized. That's like the foreshadowing of the flood. Um, So what we witness anyway, what we witness in that chapter is that it actually broke God's heart to see the creation made in his image live in total defiance of him, right? He says in Genesis 6, 6, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So God actually grieves for you, unbeliever. He grieves for you. And it's because he loves you so much. And so do I. So does your friend, family member, loved one, whoever sent you this podcast. And look, if you're still listening, thank you for sticking through this far. I pray you'll see it through till the end. Um... And so look, yeah, they grieve for you. God grieves for you. God loves you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And so on that note, I want to talk about what it actually means to be a Christian. Quick break in the episode to tell you that if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a five-star rating and written review on whatever platform you listen. If you're watching on YouTube, give it a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel and leave some love in the comments. It really helps with the algorithm. Send this to a friend. Share it to your Instagram story and tag me so that I can say thanks. And what that looks like, because there's this misconception that Christians somehow think they're better than others. Um, and this is going to kind of going to speak to the misrepresentation of Christ again. But, you know, like, because I've said before that there are people that grossly misrepresent what it means to be a Christian and that, you know, of course, there are people that do actually think they're better than others. Um, but I am not talking about those people. Not all those people that I described, you lawless workers of iniquity, right? I'm talking about true followers of Christ that bear his fruit, who do know him, who have been regenerated and sealed by the Holy Spirit, and who do have a genuine heart to see the lost be found in Jesus' name, like like I just described in 2 Timothy, desire all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So I'm talking about those folks. I'm talking about those of us who Jesus Christ is so much more than a Sunday morning weekly service, right? Jesus isn't something we do. Jesus is is someone that we live. 
So coming from that place, okay, I just want you to understand my heart because it's the heart of the Father. I want to be clear. I don't think I'm better than anyone else. And folks like me that really follow Christ don't think they're better than anyone else. The person that sent you this doesn't think they're better than you. They're not sending this to you because they're like, oh, I'm so great and you're just this lost little sheep, you know, you are a lost little sheep and you have a good shepherd, but that's not that's not their heart posture sending you this. They're sending it to you because of Genesis 6-6. Genesis 6, 6. They grieve for you. They love you. And again, this isn't about defending myself or defending that person that sent this to you or defending anyone else in the faith. I'm trying to explain that biblical Christianity is not about haughtiness, okay? The fact is nothing about surrendering your sin, your life, and your identity to Christ should result in haughtiness, but rather humility, okay? Because it truly does take real humility to lay everything down at the foot of the cross and just give it to him, to truly die to yourself and give it to him. That's not haughtiness, that's humility. And speaking from my own experience, I had to admit to myself, I had to admit to the world because I had an audience. I, I had a new age audience where I was preaching the full moon, the new moon, astrology, all that stuff, self-healing you know, the inner journey that we are all God, we are all connected to God. I had to admit to everyone. I had to tell the world publicly. I, and most importantly, I had, to, I had to admit to God that I was wrong about everything. And that's not easy to do, especially because I was haughty before true repentance. And that's the thing a lot of people get mixed up, right? Not receiving Christ, not coming to God, is what's haughty. Believing in Christ, surrendering to Christ is not haughty. That's humility. And the devil just perverts that completely and, and gives, again, unbelievers are bound to lies. So they don't see the truth of that humility. They think it's it's brainwashing. And you know what I say to that when people say I'm brainwashed? I say, you're right, my brain has been washed clean by the blood of Jesus because it's true. I am not who I was and it's because of whose I am. He, the old Angela is, she's dead. She is dead. She died with Christ on that cross. He made me a new creation in him because he loved me enough He loved me enough to die for me, knowing how defiant I would be, knowing how far I would stray, knowing that I would lead others astray. He still died for me. And you can see it moves me because I get it. I understand what that love means now. Jesus is real. He's a person. He's God. He is God. He's alive. He is alive. He died, resurrected three days later. He is alive. Our God is living. And the word says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And guess what? That means his love is the same yesterday, today, forever. His love endures. He endures. And you who endure to the end will be saved. And that verse, you who endure to the end will be saved, is speaking to the church. Enduring till the end. Enduring in the faith. So you have to come to the faith to be saved. So my point is, look, I get it. Like, I understand the resistance. The resistance is biblical, you know? The word says that we have three enemies in this world as a Christian. It's, it's the flesh. It's the world. And it's, it's the devil. And so you have all these odds stacked against you, but at the end of the day, none of that matters because greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. But when you don't have him in you, then you're in the world. And so I look, I understand the resistance. I was sold on self-healing, okay? You're, you're looking at someone, listening to someone who was completely sold on new age. I was sold on the crystals. I was sold on the Reiki. I was sold on the yoga. I was sold on astrology. I was sold on tarot. I was sold on the, th- on the thought that I knew God because I was being deceived. I thought I knew him, but that was entirely based on my own experiences and this imaginary God that I, this idol that I had created in my mind of who I wanted God to be. And so I didn't actually know him at all. It was an imaginary Jesus or like a demon Jesus. One, one of the two, which are equally as bad because neither of them are actually who he is. The Bible describes who Jesus is. The Bible is the living word of God. It's not just a book. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It's not just a book. It is the living word of God. And everything that you're looking for is in that living word. None of this is in my notes. This is just like the Holy Spirit talking to someone right now to tell you that everything you're looking for is in those pages because they're not just pages. It's the Holy Spirit inscribed on those pages And we come to faith through hearing the word, which I'm going to get to later. So, you know, the devil loves the lie. It's just a book. He loves that lie because it keeps people from ever picking it up. Kept me from picking it up. I had a bookshelf full of books. 40, 50 books about new age, about healing, about divinity, about truth, about this, about that, about the universe. Never a Bible because, oh, that's just a book. But all the rest of it wasn't, right? So this is what I mean. There's this resistance to the Bible, but there's not resistance to any other book. That's for a reason, folks, because that is the enemy's goal, to keep you from the living word of God, because if he can keep you from the living word of God, then you're gonna stay dead in the world, dead in sin, dead with him. Talking about haughtiness, the devil is haughty. He's miserable. He's proud. He's a little brat. He's a sore loser. He's mad at God. And, you know, he hates you. He hates you because you were made in God's image. So he wants to steal, kill, and destroy that which God made in his image. And he wants to remake you in his. So he's going to do everything he can to tell you that the Bible is a lie. He's going to do everything he can to convince you that the Bible is nothing more than, oh, a bunch of, a bunch of books written by racist 
um, women hating men thousands of years ago. He's going he's gonna to feed you those lies. He's going to pump your brain full of those lies, okay? But that's all they are, lies, lies. And I just really pray after you watch this episode, I pray you're still watching. I pray you're still listening, that you would pick up the, the Bible, that you, would, that you would read the gospel of John to start, that you would read those words in red, that you would say out loud, that you would just put on some humility, like we just talked about, and just say, look, if you're there, if you're real, I'm willing, I'm willing, okay? I'm willing, I'm sitting here, I'm willing. Show me, show me your wheel, real. And if everything I'm saying is true right now, that the, that the Bible is the living word of God, then something will happen to you. Something will happen to you when you read that word. And if you feel a resistance to that, I want you to know there might be something to that. If he's not real, right? If he's not real, if he's not really there, if he doesn't really love you, if, if this is all just mumbo jumbo, if it's just a man-made religion, then why the resistance? It's almost like something in the world doesn't want you to read that. Someone in the world doesn't want you to read it. Now, that being said, <laughs> completely off my notes, I get it. I thought I knew it all. I thought I knew it all. I really did. Because I genuinely thought that subjective truth was objective reality, which saying it out loud in and of itself is a farce. I thought I knew it all. Why? Because I was reliant on my own understanding and I really believed that to be enough. I believed that to be adequate and sufficient. My truth, my truth, my truth, right? We hear it all the time. Um, my own understanding of spirituality, my own understanding of Jesus, and it was all, like I said, based on how I felt. And the Bible, here's what the Bible says about relying on your own understanding. Like I said, there's an answer for everything in this thing. Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So the Holy Spirit is clear on this. It's in God's word, plain and simple, because God knows the sinful nature of your heart. So he had to put that there, just to be clear. Um, because, like I said, we're made in God's image, right? We're made in God's image, but the reality is that we were born into the fleshly nature of a fallen world that has been cursed with sin and thus ruled by Satan, says that in scripture. Um, he's biblically described as the prince of this world. And so, as I said, we are remade in the image of the enemy. We're remade in the desires of the carnal mind, even though we were made in the image of God. Jeremiah 17, 9 reads that we cannot trust our own heart. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Desperately wicked. There are multiple verses in scripture about the danger of trusting ourselves and for good reason, right? Um, and it really takes great humility to humble oneself to that reality. And this is another huge misconception about the faith is that Oh, Christianity is just was just created to control society. Really, if Christianity was just some bogus thing that was that was created to control the masses, then why does literally everything in the entire Bible go against the desires of what man wants to be made? It goes against everything. I do, I just don't see that as a viable means to control man 
when it goes entirely against the desires of man. So that's just another lie. Just going to smash that right here and there. Lie. Done. Truth. The heart is desperately wicked. Actually, don't trust yourself. Trust God. Don't trust man. Don't trust flesh. This is not to control men. This is, this is to have man submit to God. Right? So... My, you know, I truly believe from my own experience coming to Christ and witnessing the conversion of those I love, such as my husband, and from the many testimonies that I have heard and from those of you that message me online, that humbling yourself to the reality that you're actually worse off following your own heart and following any man-made doctrine of mother, new age like me, for instance, it first comes from having a revelation of the heart of God. You know, you can, you can... Come to that sense of humility once you have a revelation of his heart because he makes it easy. It's not always simple, but he makes it easy. But everything in the world, of course, is set up against having a revelation of the heart of the Father because the satanic agenda of secularism promotes the gospel of self-love and self-reliance. That's what's created to control the masses. And they're doing a really great job. They're doing a great job destroying our children, destroying our families, destroy, destroying our, um, our freedoms. Freedoms, you know, is defined by the nation, right? They're doing a great job at feeding us this gospel of self-love and self-reliance as a way to control us. They're doing a great job. And no, Christianity, because I always get this criticism, Christianity is, is not about hating yourself. That's not what I'm saying. It's like, oh, well, if the, if the world preaches the gospel of self-love, then what are you preaching? It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we all must grasp that the gospel of the world, self-love, self-reliance, is the gospel of a world that is intrinsically fallen. And under the curse of sin, since Adam got cut off from the source of perfect love and truth, God, right? So, so with the knowing that this is indeed a fallen world, you are then able to recognize that the structures and framework and ideologies of this world, that, that, that this world promotes, they are actually built on the foundation of innate brokenness. This gospel of self-love is built on the, on the foundation of brokenness, of sin, of curse, right? It's literally a curse, so thus, the self-love gospel is, is just sinking sand, guys. It's sinking sand. All doctrines of this world are sinking sand because the only solid rock on which anything can be built is upon Christ himself. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so although that is the truth, every message that this world shoves in your face is the direct antithesis of that. And it's because Satan is the prince of this fallen world, as the Bible says. And Satan's only goal, as I mentioned, is to steal, kill, and destroy. And that being said, you know, it doesn't always come off that way, right? As like a, as an attempt to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible addresses that too. The Bible addresses everything, guys. 2 Corinthians 1.11 tells us that even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so that's what makes the gospel of self so dangerous. The God of self. That is so perpetuated in our society, especially if you're in America like I am. 
I do have a whole episode about this too. If you haven't already, check it out. It's called Satanism Sells, The Gospel of Self-Love, where I really kind of get into the gritty of all this. But in short, what I'm saying is the gospel of self is a lie. The you are enough mantra, it's a lie. The you're the creator of your own reality narrative, it's a lie. It's a lie. And you don't have to be into the new age to have fallen victim to this kind of stuff because it's everywhere. And you know who the father of lies is? John 8, 44. I mentioned that verse already, but I'm going to read it. It says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Where he, When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So yes, this is one of those things like at the beginning where I said speaking truth can be offensive, but it's not nasty. This isn't nasty. This is just true. And it can be offensive and true at the same time without being, without lacking compassion. It's actually compassionate to tell the truth. And so here Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he literally refers to them as being children of the devil. That's, it's kind of a hard one, right? So this is, uh, this is, I'll address it. This is one of those instances where Christians are made out to be haughty or holier than thou, like we talked about, for sharing this message that came out of God's mouth for himself. But here's the thing, right? We share it with you because we were you. Before I received with my heart and confessed with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, I was a child of the devil. I was a child of the devil. The person that sent you this was a child of the devil. I was a child of wrath operating from the spirit of disobedience that the Bible says is present within all who are dead in their trespasses. It says that in Ephesians 2. And and now, okay, by the grace of God, nothing that I could have ever done myself, by the grace of God, I am now his. I am a child of God. And again, I don't say that as like a, oh, look at me. I say that as, oh, look at him. Look what he's done. I, I, I say that with thanksgiving and supplication, giving all praise and honor to God for his righteousness. It's not mine. It's his. He made me his. I was evil. I was a child of wrath. I didn't think I was. I was a child of the devil. I didn't think I was. I thought I hated evil, but I was evil. And again, it comes back to that, that, that being blind. I was blind and captive to a lie because I could not discern the lie because I did not know the truth. And the word says, he who does not have, God in him does not have truth. And, and I was a nobody because we're all nobodies until he makes us somebody in him, through him, with him. And even as a nobody, he died for me. So that just comes back to that love. Why did he die for my sin? Why did love hang itself on a tree for me? Why was love beaten and whipped and spit on for me? Because I was a nobody and I didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. And then he made me a somebody. In him, through him, with him. And so as true followers of Christ, 
I understand and we understand the person that sent you this that loves you. We understand that we are not made righteous because of who we are. It's because of whose we are. His. And so here's the thing now with everything I just said. Children of the devil, sin, wrath, disobedience, spirits. This is where I see a lot of churches leave people. Okay, my old church, my first church, this is where I, you know, love love that church, but this is where I saw a lot of those church that church leave people with if you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil, right? And then on the other hand, Jesus makes us righteous. Boom bam done. And that's not where I want to leave you today. Because I want you to know that that again, you're not being condemned, you are being invited because the both of those things are true if you're not a child of god you're a child of the devil and jesus makes you righteous when you come to him and repent and have faith but that there is there is a truth that that is the bridge of both of those truths okay i want to talk about what that means because it's the love behind that truth because truth is love And Jesus is the truth and God is love and Jesus is God. Okay. So the love behind that truth, truth is love. God is love. Jesus is God. Do you see, do you see what that all is there? Concise. (laughs) And the in-between of those two truths is, is the extension of the, of the truth, which is that even while you are a child of wickedness, even while you yield to the spirit of disobedience, even while you are at enmity with God, he still loves you. He wants to make you righteous. He wants to make you his. He wants to spend eternity with you. That is why he created you. He does not want you to perish. Second Peter 3.9 says, that it is not his will that anyone should perish. Why? Because he loves you. And that's what the famous John 3.16 is all about. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we see now marrying those verses because scripture should never be isolated or cherry-picked um we read in context the entirety of the word to rightly divide and to truly make sense of it we see here that with john three sixteen, god so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believe in him should not perish and have everlasting life and second peter 3 9 that it is not his will that anyone should perish we see by marrying those verses that god's will for you to not perish is contingent on your belief in Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross. And where does that belief come from? It's not just understanding that you're a sinner. It's you understanding, having a revelation of the depth of unconditional, sacrificial love. The love that God has for you despite that you are a sinner. It doesn't just start and end with how wicked you are or how much enmity you have with God because of the separation that began with Adam. It's the revelation that in spite of that enmity with God, he loves you anyway, sacrificially, unconditionally. 
It's the revelation that yes, Adam did get cut off from the source of love because of sin. And so now you as an unbeliever are cut off from that source of love, God the Father. But being cut off from the love does not mean does not mean you are not loved. It just means that you are not living in, abiding in that love. And so Adam, instead of being in that love, he ended up needing love, which is all of our story when we ate from the tree of sin that made us become dead. We are in desperate need of God's love. And he gives it. He gives it. He gave it, Jesus, freely, even when you were cut off from it. So then, now, it's up to you to receive the love because that's what the cross is all about. Restoration of perfect love in you, in you. Christianity, I want to be clear, don't confuse me here. Christianity is not, quote, for you. It's not the gospel of self-love like we talked about. It's the gospel of his love. It's the gospel of his love. This is all about his love. And when you understand, truly understand, truly have a revelation of what his love embodies, you can't help. You can't help but love him back. When you emotionally and spiritually conceptualize how much he loved you in all of your brokenness, you cannot help but live in the promise of his wholeness. When the reality of his sacrifice on the cross actually brings you to your knees in repentance, thanks, and praise, you cannot help but sacrifice it all for him. And so, this is longer than I intended. I'm sorry. Stick with me. I'll try not to go off my notes again, but whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do will be done. Back to the concept of self-righteous Christianity. It misses the mark entirely, okay? Because we, I, true disciples of Jesus, we walk, in his, we walk as he walked. And it's not because we're good Christians, quote, good Christians. It's because we are believers of everything I just said. Because... We know what that belief means because his word will never return void, Isaiah 55, 11. It means that he loves us and we know it. And because we have received the free gift of that love, Jesus' sacrifice for our salvation, because we have repented and turned away from the sin of the carnal world that made us separate from him in the first place, we can then walk in that love because his love is not just given to us, but his love has been restored in us. All thanks to the cross. Thanks to the cross, we are joined to him. Hey, y'all, sorry to interrupt this episode. I just want to remind you that Heaven and Healing Podcast is entirely viewer-sponsored. I do not have any paid sponsorships for Heaven and Healing. This is entirely made possible by the grace of God and the generosity that he puts on your heart to sow into the ministry. And so if you've prayed on it, if you feel led to sow into Heaven and Healing, you can do so at 
donorbox.org slash heaven dash healing dash podcast dash ministry. And I am going to put that QR code up on the screen. So it's super convenient. If you're listening, you can always scroll down to the show notes and find the link there. DonorBox gives you the option to partner financially, which is definitely preferred as it is the most helpful way to contribute to the podcast. However, you do have the option to just sow one single time, just one financial contribution, if that's what you feel more comfortable with. Either way, I am so grateful. It really, really helps. Everything helps. It goes a long way. And if DonorBox doesn't work for you, I also have Stripe. Again, I will put that QR code up on the screen. That allows you to um, use Apple Pay, which I know is super convenient for most people. And then finally, you can just use good old Venmo if that's easiest for you. It's really whatever works. And so here's the thing, guys. If you don't want to donate, if you don't like the idea of sewing into a ministry, that's totally fine. You don't have to. I pray that you continue to enjoy this content that I am going to continue to put out for free no matter what. Um, and at the very least, because it's the most important, please, please just pray for me pray for heaven and healing, pray protection over myself and the ministry, and that this platform continue to be used all for the goodness and glory of God. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of this episode. 1 Corinthians six seventeen, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Following Jesus is not about living in a mindset that I am holier than thou. That is exactly actually what Jesus warns the Pharisees against and what Paul continually teaches against in the New Testament when he talks about the law versus grace. We abide in his grace because he abides in us. So you see, this the Bible is actually an immaculate love letter to all of humanity. And Jesus is the Bible, right? The word made flesh, John 1.14. So when you have the revelation of that love that I keep talking about, that is when that is when you receive his mercy and forgiveness. Because you realize. Listen, you realize it was already promised to you. So I'll say that again. When you have a revelation of the love that I keep talking about, that is when you receive his mercy and forgiveness because you realize the mercy and forgiveness is already promised to you, but it's all contingent on your faith. And that faith comes from Christ himself. Hebrews 12, 2, looking away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes out of hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so remember what I just said, right? Christ is the word made flesh. See how awesome, consistent, and cohesive the Bible actually is? Jesus is truth. God is love. And Jesus is God, right? We are joined to Jesus when we have repentant faith. Jesus is the author of faith, which we receive by hearing his word. And Jesus is the word made flesh. It's amazing. God really thought it all through. He did not set you up to fail. 
right? He thought it all through. He did not set you up to fail, contrary to one of the other many lies uh, contesting against Christianity, that God sets us up to fail by, quote, sending us to hell if we refuse to believe in him. But the truth is, our fate on whether or not we go to hell has nothing to do with God's lack of love and everything to do with the unconditional sacrificial love that I keep talking about. So the truth is that, no, we we don't just go to heaven just because, okay? That's not, that's not how it works. But the thing is, we don't go to hell just because either. We're not just sent to hell. We don't just go there, right? We go to hell because God hands us over. It says that in the word. He gives us exactly what we want. We go to hell because he gives us exactly what we want. If we spend an entire earthly lifetime denying him, why would he force you to spend an eternity with him? And I know a lot of unbelievers say that God is like this mean dictator because he threatens us with hell, but hell is not a threat. It's a promise and it's, it's something that we are adequately warned against and not only warned against, but actually protected against if we choose to love him back, right? And this is what people say. This is what I mean when I have been saying throughout this episode that Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion. And it's because this is the only belief system of or, or faith that is conditional on our ability to have an intimate, personal, close relationship with the God of the universe. And so back to if you spent an entire life on earth denying that relationship, denying his love for you, denying his work on the cross, denying his his will for you to not perish, then what basis is he welcoming you into eternity with? Which, by the way, Revelation 21.3, this is how eternity is described. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So in eternity, God is literally always with you, which sounds like punishment for someone who spent their entire life denying him. So if you ask me, that is more consistent with the take that he's this authoritative, ego, egomaniac dictator that unbelievers just say that he is, that you would actually get no choice on your eternity, that you get no choice in your relationship with him, that you get no say on whether or not you actually love him. But the fact is, God chose to not make us little God-worshipping robots, even though he could have. He could have easily just programmed all of us to mindlessly love, worship, and praise him forever. However, instead, in his sovereignty, he bestowed free will onto his creation because it's not a religion, it's a relationship. He wanted us to choose him. If I give you a love potion and you love me back, I'm always going to know in the back of my head I gave you a potion to make you love me, that you didn't actually choose me, right? It's the same thing with God. He knew 
Not all of us would choose him, but he still chose us. And knowing that, you might not even choose him. He still died for you too. That, that is love. He died for even the people he knew would never use their free will to love him back. Because even though it is not his will that we should perish, because he loves you and values you so much, he adores you and wants to be with you forever. That's why he created you to glorify that you were made in his image. See how consistent it is? But at the same time, he loves you so much that he lets you choose for yourself who you will serve, as we see in Joshua 24, 15. And that's what free will is all about. It's choice. God does not force himself on you. That would be the definition of an authoritative egomaniac dictator. And so that being said, this is all just, again, it's an invitation to the revelation of God's love for you. In 1 John 4.19, it reads, we love because he first loved us. We love him because we realize that he loved us. We choose him because we understand that he has already chosen us. Jesus says in John 15.16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. God has given free will to humans and we will be held accountable for our choices. Nevertheless, apart from God's grace, because of our sinful nature, we would be unable to see the kingdom of God and come to God apart from his grace for regeneration. So it is all about him, like I keep saying. And this is all continuing to overflow in the entire message of the podcast, how much God actually loves you right? The lengths he was willing to go for you. The plan he set in motion to reconcile you back to himself and save you from the sin that separated you from his holiness and his love. The, the way that he loves you, knitted you together in the womb, knows every hair on your head and was willing to actually be a living sacrifice so that that love may abide in you, even if you would never love him back. He still loves you and he loved you first. And that's why we can even receive the revelation of his love in the first place. And that's where grace comes from. And this is why, you know, you know, when people say things like, oh, you just do those things, say those things, you just believe those things because some book tells you to. I don't want to live like that. You know, all I can do, all we can do as Christians is weep for them, pray for them, fast for them, petition for them, intercede for them, and offer to pray over them, offer to show them who Jesus really is. Because folks that have that mindset, like I once did, like my husband once did, like we said from the beginning, they are blind to the truth. They are blind to love. You might be blind to love. First John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So anyone who does not know God does not know love. Again, might be offensive, but it's true. It's not mean. And that's why they see the Bible as a rule book. Because if you don't know God, you don't know love. And that's why they see Christianity as antiquated. That's why they see, or maybe you see Christianity as a cult, as extremist, as controlling, because they, perhaps you, do not know God. 
So they do not know love. And that's heartbreaking. And the truth is, Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not if you want to be good, you'll keep my commandments. Not if you want to be better than someone else. Not if you want to hold a gold star. Not if you want to go to heaven. Not if you want to take ownership or authority or control or be mean to other people. Not, you know, if you love me. It's just if you love me. He says, if you love him. Real Christianity, real relationship with Jesus is about love, folks. Embodying love. So literally embodying God because the love abides in you. So you embody the love. You embody God. We follow Jesus when we love him. We don't see, I don't see the Bible as a rule book or a chore to begrudgingly adhere to because I know, we know, the person that sent you this know that the Bible is truly none of those things. It's not a rule book and it's not some a chore. It's it's the perfect, precious word of God that was given to us in his grace as that love letter to offer us every single solution to every single problem, both temporal and eternal, both carnal and spiritual, right? We see the Bible as perfect because we know it is perfect because we know he is perfect, And it is a privilege to abide in that word, in that perfect word. And not only a privilege, it's an actual pleasure. It's a pleasure. And we live that way because we love him when we receive the revelation of his love, as I keep saying. And what does that come back to? 1 John 4, 19. Again, we love because he first loved us. And true love gives itself over. It is sacrificial. It restores. It is everything that the cross represents and everything that the cross is. And from the Holy Bible itself, defining love, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. So following Jesus is not a chore. Living for God is not a chore. Abiding in what the Bible says is not something that needs to be forced. It is simply a byproduct of love in response to his love because he first loved us. So no, true Christianity is not oppressive, y'all. It's ultimate freedom because that's what his love is, freedom. And on the contrary, to not follow Jesus is actually what oppresses you. It's just that the devil has done such a good job at dressing up your chains to look like pearls. Okay? The devil makes your grave look like a throne. He makes your jail cell look like a beachfront. He makes your sin look like your salvation. And if you are an unbeliever, blind to the truth as the word says then when the devil describes to you what freedom looks like, you're going to take his perverted word for it because you've never physically been able to see the real thing. But guess what? Jesus himself, 
says in John 9, 39, that he came into this world so that those who do not see may see. So there is more than hope for the unbeliever. There is the actual promise of sight, of redemption, of salvation, of joining in Christ, abiding in his love, receiving his love, not just being loved by him, but actually abiding in his love, walking in it. Christianity is about walking in freedom, not just going to heaven. It's not only about gaining eternal life, but to have life more abundantly now, right here, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's not to say, you know, I say this all the time that there you know, as a Christian, that there won't be trials or consequences for being at enmity with the world. But it is to say that anything you may endure will no longer be done by your own strength. As it always is without Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, everything you're doing is by your own strength. How's that working? So anything you endure after you have Christ will be done through he who lives in you. Because greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. Um, So it's just really consistent, the Bible and just the Lord, Jesus. Um, Now that to say, again, none of this is about saying a prayer just to go to heaven. There are a lot of Christians who just say a prayer to go to heaven and then stay exactly who they are. And again, those are people that are misrepresenting Christ to you. Um. And that could be another reason why Christianity has l- historically left a bad taste in your mouth. But I want to encourage you again, like I did in the beginning, don't let someone else's failure to embody the revelation of God's love keep you from the gift of embodying his love. Because he's already given it to you. You just have to receive it and, and believe it and have faith. You have to have faith and turn away right? Turn away from, from who you are without him and, and know that you're literally being invited to be born again. You're literally being invited to be born again, to be forgiven for everything that you have ever said or done and made. And, and you just, you just become new because of how much he loves you, how much he values you. He makes you brand new. Because you don't receive the love, mercy, and grace of God and stay the same. Not when you really become his. Eternal's life, eternal life um, is not the sinner's prayer. Which may ruffle the feathers of some Christians, but it's true, right? It's, it's gospel, it's the Bible, it's the word. Eternal life is the relationship that was lost with the eternal one. It's restored with the son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is extending that to you, watching, listening right here, right now. He is extending himself to you, to be with him, to follow him. And if you're listening still, if you've made it this far, I guarantee it's because there's something that's knocking and that's Jesus. Following Jesus, I will say, following Jesus is is honoring Jesus and becoming that in which you honor. 
him. Because the truth is, we are always becoming what we honor, whether it's Jesus or something else. That's just how we're wired as human beings. It's why the Bible, why Jesus, why Paul, why all of it, it puts an emphasis on faith because how we live is contingent on our faith. This is why free will is so powerful. When you sit back and understand God's sovereignty, that he could have made you a mindless robot for worship and praise, but he didn't. That in his sovereignty, he made your faith the determination of your fate. That's how much he respects you. That's how much he honors you. That's how much he loves you. And we spit in his face in response to that. Without him, we live for ourselves. We live for the world. We live for sin. We live for the temporary hits that satiate the flesh until we come to the revelation of his love. It's when we understand his love, his never-ending love, his John three sixteen love, that we then understand the nature of our depravity. We understand the curse of Adam. We understand what separated us from abiding in that love. And how even when we aren't abiding in it, God loves us in spite of that. Even if we never choose him. But when you get it, when you get it, you can't help but choose him because his perfect love casts out all fear. He changes you. He transforms you. His Holy Spirit comes and convicts you fills you, quenches you in a way that you didn't even know you were thirsting for, and you begin to understand the cross. It's not just about your sin, okay? To be clear, it is about your sin. He died for your sin, but he did that because he loves you. He saw you as valuable enough to die for, even in your depravity. Even if you would never choose him, he still chose you. And there are some of you listening that may never choose him. And yet I want you to know, he wants you to know that he still had you in mind when he bled out on that cross. Because that is the epitome of his character. That is the epitome of his love. That is the epitome of his sacrifice. So I'll end here. You can't know him and not become like him. He empowers us to live in a way in which we never could without him. Because we can't. We just can't. We can never do it on our own. That's why the world tries so hard to convince you that you can and that you should. Because Satan is the prince of this world and his goal is to keep you from that eternity of God, with God. And so I just, I pray that you will receive his gift, his free gift. Salvation is a free gift. Abiding in his love is a free gift. And when you understand that it's yours to receive, that conviction of a life that you have lived up until this point of being separate without him, you experience that godly sorrow, and that's when the Holy Spirit begins to do a real work in you. And you just can't help but repent and praise and, and really just give yourself to him the way he gave himself for you on that cross. And just die to yourself and live in him 
live with him as he lives with and in you. And so if you don't mind, unbeliever, I'd like to say a prayer for you right now. If you just could spare me another couple minutes of your time that I thank you so much for up until this point. Um, if you could just close your, if you're driving, I would prefer you wait, pull over. Don't, don't do this while you're driving. Just close your eyes and just have, have an open heart for this. Okay. Lean not on your own understanding. Just have an open heart. Okay. Father God, I just lift this person to you right now who is listening. Lord, I know that you know them. I know that you know them and I know that you grieve for them to know you. I, I know that you grieve to have a relationship with them because you, you, you set them apart before the foundations of the world. You chose them when you died on that cross. Lord, you died for their sin. You knit them together in the womb. You know every hair on their head, Lord. So I lift this person that is so precious and so valuable to you right now, Father. And I pray that you would begin to do a mighty work in their heart right now, Lord. I pray that you would remove that heart of stone and just impart a heart of flesh, Lord, right now, Father. That you would convict them of the separation that they have been experiencing from you, Father. That that you would convict them of their sin. Lord, not in a way that condemns them or makes them feel shame, but in a way that makes them actually physically ache to have your love, to know your love by understanding that they, that it's already right there. It's right there for them to just grab and receive because you never stopped loving them. You so loved the world that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that you actually became in, you came in the flesh to die for them. That's how much you love them, Lord. And so I pray that they would just begin to have that revelation of your love right now. I pray that the Holy Spirit would completely wash over them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet, which is completely overtake every single cell molecule atom in their body that would just be saturated with the Holy Spirit, with the conviction, with the love, with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Father, I pray that Jesus would come right now. Jesus would come and reveal himself to the person that is listening or watching this right now and tell them, I love you. You are the only one of you. I chose you. I made you. I need you. I desire you, Lord. I pray that you, Jesus Christ, would just would just reveal yourself to them in a mighty way, in a supernatural way that they could no longer deny you anymore from this moment forward, and that you would do that mighty work in their heart to turn from their wicked ways, Lord, to just completely reject the ways of the world, to reject the ways of the enemy, to reject the carnal, reject the flesh, reject the spirit of disobedience, renounce all of that in the mighty name of Jesus, and just come to you, Lord, to to turn their faith from the world, from themselves, from their sin, from the enemy, unknowing or not, that they would turn that faith from unknowing to knowingly in you, Lord, and understand that they don't have to have all the answers right now. All they have to know is that they're blind, and guess what? You came to give them sight, Lord, so all they have to know right now is that they were blind, and now that they're able to see you, Father, I pray that you would peel the blinders from their eyes supernaturally right now, Lord, that you would just give them a revelation of the truth, of the knowledge, of 
of, of your love, Lord, of, of the fullness of the gospel, that we would just, right now, we just break off all the lies that they've been told about the Bible, all the lies they've been told about God. I pray against all of that in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, it says in your word that we are healed by your stripes because you were whipped for our transgressions. So Lord, when we come to that faith, we know that we are healed. And so I know that the person listening or watching, when they really come to faith, when they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that you are Lord, they will be healed of that past. They will be healed of those lies, Lord, that they were told. All the church hurt, they will be healed. All they have to do is receive you, Lord. And so I pray for an emboldened faith to just stir up in their heart right now. If they feel you knocking, Lord, that they would just answer, that they would say, come, come to me, Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit fill me. And you can repeat after me, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, I want you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I know that you are Lord. I know that I am blind and I pray that you will make me see. Father, I just lift this person to you right now and I pray that that they would choose you as you chose them, Father. I pray against all of the lies of the enemy. I pray against the demonic agendas that want to keep them from you, that want to steal, kill, and destroy the salvation that you died for them to have, Lord. I pray against those demonic agendas right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I cancel those attacks in Jesus' name. And I just pray the Holy Spirit over you. Whoever you are listening or watching, God loves you. God sees you. God wants you. He desires you. You're listening to this because he desires you. Because he wants you to know that he died for you, not because of how wicked you are, but because of how much he loves you in spite of your wickedness. And so he's inviting you now that you can turn from your wicked ways and that you can embody and abide in him, in his love. He loves you anyway, but this is the invitation for you to actually receive his love, for his love to come into your heart, to live in you, because God is love. Jesus is truth. Jesus Jesus is God. Jesus is love. And so I pray that you listening, you watching would invite that truth, that love into your heart right now in Jesus name, that you would just fall to your knees, weeping in repentance for your life this thus far separate from the Lord. And that you would make the decision here and now because you've been changed because you've been changed because you desire to have that relationship you're not going to follow a religion today you're committing to a relationship with the god of the universe that created you and that loves you and that knitted you in the womb that sent jesus god in the flesh to actually die for you because that sacrificial love your value was so worth it to him it was so worth it to him whether or not you would end up choosing him you were still worth it to him and so i pray that you would receive him that you would walk in him that you would walk as him right now in jesus name i pray this over over you i just pray I pray for the peace that surpasses all understanding to completely wash over you. I pray that you would know God because then you will really know love. So I pray that 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 love would live inside of you, that God would live inside of you, that you would die to yourself. I pray that you would be baptized in water and in the spirit. I pray that I pray that right now that I, that you would be born again, that you would be made a new creation in Jesus' mighty name. 
And I pray that you would be stewarded well. I pray that for great discipleship over your life on your walk. I pray against all doctrines of false teaching in your life in Jesus' mighty name. I pray that you would find a solid church, a solid Bible teacher, a solid community of like-minded believers that can shepherd you and walk with you as the Bible calls us to fellowship. And so I just pray that over you right now in the mighty name of Jesus, because his word says that he is a provider and that he is working all things out for the good of those who love him. So when you make the decision to love him, you can know that he is working all things out for your good in his glory, in Jesus' name. Asking you shall receive as his child, obedient in his will and in his ways. If you so choose him now, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, this is the day that everything changes for you because this is the day that whoever you are is dead now and who you are in him is alive forevermore. Who he is in you is alive forevermore. And I pray that you would leave this podcast, that you would leave this prayer knowing if you've received him in your heart, that greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.